You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the Internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. Hollywood reporter, deputy film editor, Ann Thompson goes on the record online. People still like to go out to the movies. And I know this sounds like an old broken record, but I do have an argument for why uh, the whole digital download, new distribution paradigm, et cetera, et cetera, is not going to be the enormous, you know, 100% revolution that people think. And that's because... Um, you still have to market the damn thing. You have to establish a brand. You have to make people know what the title is in order for them to want it. You can't order it from Netflix unless you know what it is. And thank you for downloading this special episode of On the Record Online as we continue our countdown to the Oscars. Uh, If this is your first time listening, we do in-depth one-on-one interviews with journalists from the mainstream media, as well as from time to time discussions with bloggers, podcasters, and newsmakers. And the subject is almost always how technology is changing and threatening to disrupt the mainstream media business as we know it. Uh, Today, we have a one-on-one interview with the deputy film editor from The Hollywood Reporter, uh, one of two uh, leading entertainment trade publications uh, considered a must-read in the business of of show business. Uh, She has been reporting on uh, film and entertainment for many years, uh, has tremendous perspective, starting at Film Comment, uh, which is the publication of the Lincoln Center uh, back in the, uh, well, back in 1980. Uh, She was with Premier Magazine for many years. She still writes for a number of uh, uh, well-known publications, including New York Magazine. Uh, She writes for the Washington Post, the London Observer, Filmmaker. Uh, she's written for the New York Times, Wired. Uh, so she is about as in the know as anybody who covers show business. She also will talk a bit about this um, October predictions, Oscar prediction story that she does every year for the for Premier Magazine. Uh, my name is Eric Schwartzman. I teach a course on uh, new media PR at UCLA. I'm also the chairman and founder of iPressroom Corporation, uh, which helps organizations extend the reach of their PR and marketing campaign using the latest new media tools and services integrated into one powerful online dashboard. And if you would like to see what iPressroom can do for you, go to iPressroom.com forward slash visible. I'm also the managing director of Schwartzman & Associates, a Los Angeles-based public relations agency specializing in entertainment, media, and technology. Now, if you're listening to this on your computer, on your desktop, um, you know, you can also subscribe to this and take it on the go as a podcast. Uh, you can also subscribe to it and listen to it on your computer. Uh, it's free to subscribe. It doesn't cost anything. Uh, what that means is every time we upload a new episode, which we do almost every Friday, uh, you'll get it automatically. Um, all you have to do to subscribe is go to www.ontherecordpodcast.com, and there's a number of different options there for subscribing uh, with a podcatcher. You need a podcatcher to subscribe to a podcast. And uh, a popular one is iTunes. It's free. You can download it. If you use my Yahoo, you can subscribe through that. Um, and there's a number of other options that are available to you. Uh, so um, if you want to subscribe, please go to www.ontherecordpodcast and, and you can do that uh, right now. 
If you are, are interested in uh, um, giving us feedback or, or comments or, or sending us questions or, or suggestions for future guests, uh, please do send them to eric at ontherecordpodcast.com. Uh, this interview with uh, Ann Thompson, the uh, Deputy Film Editor at The Hot Reporter lasts just over 20 minutes. As always, it comes to you entirely unedited. So stay with us. We're going to play it for you after this. Don't be left behind. Get the latest online PR tools and services from my press room. Powerful, easy to use, available on demand. Extend your sphere of influence online with iPressroom, tools for online media centers, virtual private press rooms, RSS news feeds, podcasts, and more at www.ipressroom.com. iPressroom, always on, even when you're off. Ann Thompson, thanks so much for joining us. Happy to be here. And tell us what you do as the deputy film editor at The Hollywood Reporter. That is an interesting question. I write a weekly column called Risky Business. I uh, write a daily blog called The Risky Biz Blog, and I help the uh, editors and writers here with uh, any number of film stories as they come down the pike, uh, and I go to film festivals and cover those uh, as well, and cover the Oscars on, uh, on Oscar night. I'll be on the, uh, on the red carpet. Now, you obviously started back in 1980 uh, at Film Comment, which is, is a, certainly I've considered to be a highbrow publication, and now you're writing uh, for probably uh, you know, one, of the, one of the top two most respected entertainment trade publications. Um, tell us a little bit about how covering your beat has changed uh, from when you started to today. Well, the, the uh, well, film comment is a whole nother order. I mean, that's film, you know, that's the Film Society of Lincoln Center and the New York Film Festival and it's uh, art films and it's New York and it was one of the great jobs in the whole world and um, I fell in love and moved to California <laughs> and left it behind. Um, that, uh, but I used to still work for them for many years, and, and some of the stories I would do for them included Oscar predicts. And I still, you know, the, jo- the story I do for Premiere every year now is very similar. It's Oscar predicts. I do it very, very early in October and figure out just based on as many movies as I can see and as much as I can glean uh, from my sources, you know, exactly, uh, you know, who's going to get nominated. And, and that's a terrifying story to do, and I, I love doing it because it's a very ch- big, big challenge, and I'm always afraid I'm going to make a complete fool of myself. When you're deciding uh, your predictions for that October story in Premier Magazine, uh, what's more important, the film or the Oscar campaign behind it? At that stage, it helps to know which distributor is going to be behind it. And it helps to know, uh, based on your experience, um, you know, how, how reliable they are and how likely they are to, to do a good job. Um, and I know everybody. I mean, I, I really have a good, pretty good sense of who everyone is. I could have told you that Mark Ehrman would do a good job with Ryan Gosling and, uh, and Half Nelson, and I predicted that he would be nominated. Which, which was a bit daring at that time. Um, so it's just a question of using your taste and your judgment and, and your experience to gauge the future. It really is. It's about predicting the future and where momentum will be. Uh, I couldn't have predicted that they were going to decide to release 
letters from Iwo Jima at the last minute. Um, and I feel okay about predicting that Dream Girls would get a Best Picture nomination, given that it got eight nominations. That was kind of unusual. Why did so many of the predictions miss the fact? I mean, now everyone seems to have, you know, plenty of explanations for why uh, Dream Curls didn't get the Best Picture uh, uh, nomination. But um, why do you think so many uh, predictions said that it would? Well, I, I have to argue that it was very close to getting there. But the fact that that writer uh, that it didn't get uh, a writer's nomination or a director's nomination is an indication that it didn't have uh, all the support uh, that it that it needed. Um, Dreamgirls is a case of a movie that probably peaked too soon, um, and and I was a little worried about that even then. But it had such scale and scope and and style and pizzazz and uh, based on the the performance of Chicago uh, a few years ago, I, I suspected that it would do uh, do really well. Um, but it, it it ended up missing uh, that one category by 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 probably a very small margin. And I would also argue that. Um, Bob Burney is someone who's very good at this game, who works at Picture House and who released a movie called uh, Pan's Labyrinth. And he did very well at the Oscars that nominations morning with six nominations for Pan's Labyrinth. And I'm going to suggest to everyone that that movie's going to pick up a few wins on Sunday. And, and that's a movie that has gained an enormous amount of popularity uh, inside uh, the film community in the time that it's been sort of slowly, slowly building up steam. And now, opening you, at the very end of the year. When you say a picture peaked too soon, walk us through the logic behind the peak. When when would the peak be most valuable um, to a an Oscar hopeful? Well, you would want a peak in uh, mid January when the ballots for nominations are out, and and the 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 trouble with Dream Girls. Is that is that they didn't send out a lot of well it, they opened it so late that they didn't have enough screenings of it in theaters so that people so it wasn't widely available in theaters it also had to do with um, getting people to see it on a big scale and so, but but the peaking part has to do with that's a movie that didn't play well on DVD that's a different issue but the peaking part has to do with um, they showed pieces of it uh, a year ago. Uh, before the Oscars, they had people come down to the set and come to visit the, the uh, where they were shooting some of the musical numbers at a theater in downtown L.A., and then they had another big show-and-tell in Cannes in May, so there was a whole other group of press that covered it there, and everybody got all very excited about this movie and wrote about it, and it was a front-runner. It was always a front-runner. Uh, along with flags of our fathers, and those are the two front runners. If you think back, and they ended up fading uh, before they got to the finish line. So when you, when, you, when you and that's because partly there's a whole lot of expectations added to a movie that is in that front runner category, and it's only possible. It's very possible. It doesn't always happen, but it's possible for it to become a disappointment on some level. So you mentioned when you're when you're doing these predictions in October, you're consulting all these different sources, you're seeing the movies, you're talking to your contacts. To what extent does online buzz play into it? Now, I'll, I'll tell you what I'm thinking here. None. Nielsen, zero. Zip at zero. That stage. I zero. see. 
Because Nielsen put out a press release today, um, and I'll just read you a a blurb from the press release. It says, Academy Award nominees saw a sharp increase in visits to their websites in the weeks prior to the awards ceremony. And then it says, Oscar-related buzz on the internet showed Best Actor... Actress nominees Helen Mirren and Forrest Whitaker, most dominant in online conversations in blogs. That's that's not rocket science. I mean, do you think that that is any sort of harbinger for, you know, what might happen, the online conversation? No, no. It's very, very, very important to distinguish um, the Oster prognosticators, the people who are fans, and then the people who are uh, covering this Field who are influenced by the Oscar prognosticators, and then the actual Academy itself of 5,800 members. Now, in one sense, I would say that it's possible that a, a momentum can build, a certain kind of winner mentality can surround a particular movie or a particular person. And I would say that that's true of, of Helen Mirren and, and Forrest Whitaker. They've just won so many things. It's very hard to imagine that they're not going to win on, on Oscar night. Um, there's a remote possibility that Peter O'Toole could take it away from Forrest Whitaker, but I, I somehow doubt that that will happen. But that's not because of all the prognosticators and, and Internet buzz. It's because just my judgment call reading the collective mind of the Academy, you know, they're, in, you know, if you look at the history of how they behave, they are more likely to reward a complex and difficult, challenging role like um, Idi Amin and, and a, an actor who has done nothing but fabulous work for his entire career than they are to go for the sentimental, I've only been nominated seven times, eight times, and I've, I've never won just for that reason. They'll do it if it's a great, great performance, and that's true. But my, my, my argument with Peter O'Toole would be that he, he probably is playing a part that's very close to himself that doesn't reflect the same kind of degree of difficulty that Forrest Whitaker does. So that's that. Those are there's 50 million little things that you weigh in, along with everybody you talk to and all the different events you go to. The people who are in Los Angeles going to Academy screenings, going to parties, going uh, around and talking to other people are the people who have a sense, a physical, tactile sense. If you go to the Academy luncheon, if you go to the, um, you know, the British. Uh, Britannia Award, the BAFTA Britannia Awards, if you just go to all these things, you just get a sense of where the room is and where the warmth is and, and where the affection is. That's why I think Little Miss Sunshine has a real shot at winning, because people love it. They talk about it and their faces light up with affection for a movie that they adore. You know, that, and that's something that you can't, you know, that, that that's... If anyone out there argues based on any kind of online buzz that somebody knows who's going to win on Oscar night, they do not know. Given the uh, number of um, foreign nationals being recognized above the line talent and also the sort of the impact of international cinema um, on the Oscars this year, uh, do you think there's an argument to be made that um, just as uh, Tom Friedman says that the world is actually flat, that the, uh, the Academy Awards are becoming more global? Of course, they are incredibly global now. And, and uh, they're very Spanish. And we have our first Japanese actress nominee, Rinko Kikuchi, 
Um, and and we have uh, an, an, an extraordinary number of filmmakers from Mexico and 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 the three the three uh, amigos as they're fondly dubbed uh, Guillermo del Toro and Alejandro Gonzalez Inarritu and and uh, Alfonso Cuarón. I mean, there it's just a wonderful thing to witness how how wonderfully their movies have have gone over and and uh, been been recognized in every category all the way down through all the all the different uh, areas of, of, of the Oscar race. Now I know you said that uh, you just got back from picking up your credentials uh, down from the Hollywood and, uh, Highland facility uh, over at the Renaissance Hotel. You're getting ready for the Oscars yourself. Walk us through your day. What will you do on Oscar Day? That's a good question. Well, I'm going to have to get dressed <laughs> um, and make sure that I'm wearing uh, makeup and contacts and that I've blown my hair out properly. Um, I think I'm going to end up parking at the Arc Light and get, taking a shuttle bus over to the um, to the uh, Hollywood and Highland Complex. Um, I'll have my badge, my hard-won badge, which I spent hours getting today. Uh, I have to go do a walkthrough on Friday first because I'm on the red carpet. Um, we have a little spot, the Hollywood Reporter, where we have a photographer, and we shoot the executives as they come through, and I have to be one of the spotters who go out and find them and recognize them and bring them back and make sure we spell their names right and their wives' names right. Now, this may seem like a rather ignominious task, but in fact, it's great, great fun to be on the red carpet, to see all the people coming through, to see how the crowd responds, to listen and watch uh, the whole action uh, on that on that day. So we have to be there by no later than 2 o'clock, and um, Cynthia Littleton, the editor of The Hollywood Reporter, and I will be out there in our finery on the red carpet. Uh, and then as soon as the uh, cer- the ceremony begins, uh, and then the last stragglers go in. Uh, we go back to the arc light, and we go back to the office in still in black tie. And uh, at that point, I have to watch the show and uh, write a story at the same time, which is the analysis story that goes with the main bar, which will be written by Greg Kilday, the film editor. He's the one who's actually watching it and literally writing up who wins what and what they say and everything based on watching the show. And then we have uh, three reporters backstage who are doing all the uh, press room stuff with people coming through and sending all those quotes in to the paper so that that will be put into the paper as well. And uh, and we have to uh, put the big photo layout together and caption everything and give everybody their proper position. And I have to write an analysis story about what happens. It's due no later than one hour after the end of the show. And what about the party scene? Will you be on the party circuit? The party circuit is more in advance this year of the Oscars. There's a Miramax party on Thursday night celebrating the Queen. On Friday night there is um, a lunch for the composer, De Plat, uh of, of uh, the Queen and uh, at the French Consul's house. There's also an Italian affair that uh, is going to celebrate Ennio Morricone, who's going to be uh, winning an honorary Oscar, well-deserved, uh, the composer. And then uh, there is um, some kind of, yeah, there's a, there's a music party for composers and lyricists that someone might take me to. This is all on Friday night. And then there's a, an Endeavor uh, agency party. There are lots of agency parties, but that may be the only one that I can get myself uh, into. Uh, press are not usually invited to those things. 
on Saturday, there's the um, there's a morning uh, CAA party. There's a uh, an Indie Spirits Award affair at the beach with uh, just my favorite uh, annual ritual of of all. Um, and then uh, after that, there's a party uh, at Shutters uh, that the uh, and you know the IFC films people put on, and um, and after that. Usually, there's a Weinstein Co. party every Saturday night before the Oscars, but that's not happening this year because they don't really have enough nominations to justify it. Um, and then, on, uh, then we've done we've done Sunday. As far as Sunday night is concerned, the people who are backstage or, or the people who go to the Oscars go to the Governor's Ball. All the all the people there afterwards. But I'll be I'll be in the office writing my story. So the. Um, the uh, Governor's Ball uh, is followed usually by uh, everybody goes to Vanity Fair. And because there are no studio parties this year, uh, it's very hard to get a ticket to Vanity Fair. And our intrepid reporter, Boris Kitt, has the 20-minute, uh, 40-minute shot at Vanity Fair that he's been you know, doing every year. So he'll be the one who goes to that, which means that when I finish my um, story, I go home. Very sad. Well, as a final question, uh, Anne, um, I'd like to, if we can, just turn our attention for a minute to the impact of digital technology and new media on the businesses of, of entertainment and, and, and news media distribution. Um, and I'm thinking of this story that you and I had discussed prior to picking prior to this um, uh, podcast here about this David Denby uh, uh, article that ran in The New Yorker and was much talked about last month. Um, But with respect to um, the the digital age with consumers having more control over the media and entertainment that they consume and and the idea that the younger generation is used to multitasking, you know, doing more than one thing at the same time, perhaps, you know, checking their email, watching television and maybe playing a video game, all these different things going on. And, And some people arguing that that equates to a lower attention span. Do you think that somehow this younger audience is going to be less inclined to uh, to sort of submit their time and attention uh, to a screen over which they have no control in a movie theater. I have a 17-year-old daughter um, who uh, I think is probably fairly typical. I mean, she may be on the slightly more cinephile, sophisticated side just be by virtue of her parents, but, but she... Uh, does a lot of different things. She has a Netflix account, and she uh, rents things like Al, you know the Ali G show uh, to watch on on Netflix. Or if we miss an episode of Lost, or you know the TiVo messes up, she'll go. She'll you know order something like that to catch up with. And she she orders movies as well uh, on Netflix. And she also um, and what she does is she watches those movies on her portable computer, her laptop, Mac computer, um, and she's dying to get a video iPod, and she will eventually get one, um, and I suspect that then she will watch a lot of things on that, including, you know, shorts and things that she's picked up on online. Um, she does a lot of, of, 
of looking at, at, at video material online. She's not a downloader, though. She doesn't do that. Um, and, and she really isn't interested in watching movies on her on an, on an iPod. She's more interested in looking at it on her laptop, which makes more sense. But she also watches television. She also watches movies and DVDs on, you know, in the living room. She's had groups of people over to watch them all, you know, in a group setting. She's had musical marathons and Bollywood movie marathons and things. And all of her girlfriends will come over and sleep over and watch five movies in a row. And she goes out to the movies as well as a group with her friends. And they, you know, she went to see Bend It Like Beckham six times, you know, or whatever. And she goes down to Bollywood, uh, to, to Artesia to see Bollywood movies with her father. So she, she has an eclectic approach uh, to movie going that is sometimes it's The Departed on opening weekend. Sometimes uh, she went with me to the New Beverly to see a double feature of Holiday, and it happened one night. Admittedly, she was in a mood to please me for whatever reason. But she had a genuinely good time, and, and, and it was black and white, and it was old, and it was creaky, and it was a horrible, horrible print, um, and it made me go, okay, this is why this is all going to go away. But I have a feeling those theaters with those old creaky prints, that theater on a Saturday night was packed with people. Packed. And in our city here in L.A., the stuff that's playing at the local repertory houses that's doing well is the, uh, is the old stuff. It's the classic stuff. People still like to go out to the movies. And I know this sounds like an old broken record, but I do have an argument for why... Uh, the whole digital download, new distribution paradigm, et cetera, et cetera, is not going to be the enormous, you know, 100% revolution that people think. And that's because um, you still have to market the damn thing. You have to establish a brand. You have to make people know what the title is in order for them to want it. You can't order it from Netflix unless you know what it is, even if they recommend it to you. Even if they tell you something that you should do based on all of your other viewing, you need to know what it is first before you're going to put it in your queue. And that's why you're going to still need theatrical and you're going to still need marketing. And you're going to still need a little window, even if it's shorter than the one than the one now. Now, little independent filmmakers, there's a horrible bottleneck and they can't get distribution and they can't get into the theaters. Those people are the candidates for some more sophisticated kind of internet downloading and, and a more sophisticated internet marketing model. And that's going to require uh, places like wherever it is, Amazon or Yahoo. Amazon is doing the most sophisticated job with its unbox of, of making some of this stuff available and, and letting people know about it. And there is a kind of little network of, of filmmakers, you know, working MySpace and working Google and working all the tricks on the Internet to sort of reach each other and find each other and get people to find out about things. But it's on a very, very small small scale. But I think that kind of thing will, will grow in time. And then the filmmakers can own their own DVD uh, revenues, which is a big deal, which it, they don't now. Hollywood Reporter, Deputy Film Editor Ann Thompson, thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. 
You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. 